Coming up next, the bookening. All three of your pals from the bookening discuss the book, Watership Down. Hey everybody, welcome to The Booketing. I am Nathan. I am, of course, your humble and obedient host. And I'm just going to say, Brandon is sincerely not fat. Thank you. <laughs> it's true. I hadn't That's seen Brandon really in so true. long. My first thought was, oh no, have you been sick and <laughs> like, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> not that Brandon was ever know. actually fat, but he's looking no, awfully slender right now. He's looking... Like a, I was gonna say like a beast, but beasts are big and burly. What's the opposite of a beast, but still a cool sounding thing? I don't know. We're not wordsmiths on this podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. We don't. We don't give much of a rip about words at all. Brandon looks like what's a slender beast? A lemur? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Brandon looks like a sexy lemur. Wow. So <laughs> thank you, thank you, Nathan. Like those lemurs from Madagascar. <laughs> Yeah, like exactly. Uh, you know, I've, I have never seen a single scrap of any Madagascar movie, except for I think I are the those penguins, those humorous penguins from Madagascar. They, they are, yeah. Okay, I saw some children's movie that had an opening. You know how they sometimes they put a short in front of a movie because they just want to torture parents for even longer. Yep. Yep. I saw something or other that I think it was Wallace and Gromit: Curse of the Were Rabbit had a penguins short and the dumb fat audience stuffed popcorn in their mouth and laughed through the penguins short and then wallace and gromit got nothing really just deadly silence through wallace and gromit and you just realized america is dead americans are stupid americans well, oh are, my goodness. are really stupid Have you listened to any or watched any of the olympics broadcasts yes <sighs> nobody's more convinced Ameri that americans are stupid than nbc i mean yeah. My goodness. The amount of times, like, uh, what, what was it just before I came? Well, they lost somebody and she's not going to get to compete in the thing. And, but they're still going to work hard. And, well, we talked to the coach and she said, but we're still going to work hard and try to place in the medals. Were, really? Were you guys... They talked to the coach and they said they're, <laughs> they're still going to work hard and try to place in the medals. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's like stuff like that. It's like, you know what? You you didn't. You came uh, in third. You took the bronze, but I bet you really wish you would have had the gold, right? <laughs> no, I've spent the last four years of my life aiming for bronze. Thank you. I kind of think gold's right. a little too ostentatious. I <laughs> worked my butt off through my entire childhood to go for the bronze. That's the phrase, isn't it? <laughs> that's how. That's how you it never works. know. My, my poor brothers and sisters have made their entire life about this one athletic achievement for me: getting bronze. Right. Yeah. I've been looking forward to, and now I will be looking back on the bronze. Maybe there was a million-dollar wager on it. Like, if you get the bronze, you get a million dollars. Americans are capitalists. <laughs> yeah. We know that. Are you talking about the gymnast that dropped out today? Bryles or whatever. That, that did Simone make you Biles. feel pretty bad about being an American. Simone Biles that, dropped that out. That story. Yeah. 
Well, especially especially when you found out why it was just the pressure, right? Isn't that what she claims? Yeah, that's what she claims. Well, the good thing about her, I was talking about that. I was also thinking of something like last night. What do these athletes need to do to prepare for competition? Well, Cindy, I'm glad you asked. They need to be sure they get a good night's rest and that they eat well and that they come in mentally prepared. Oh, okay. Wow. It's like this is the commentary you know, that's just like constant throughout the Olympics. This is the most inane thing I've ever seen in my life. We we know better than anybody. Sometimes you have to inanely vamp to sort of just keep the content role going. You have to say words and maybe you haven't had time to think of those words and so you're you're filling space, you're doing your little song and dance. There's a real art to that that good broadcasters should have. And uh, you, Yeah, you I think that that's true. Broadcasters I, I, would have. I, and, and the best ones do. But this is just like right. constant inanity. There's nothing else. Jake, I'm getting a lot of from your microphone if you want to. Not mine, though. No, Brandon, you're good, actually. I don't know, I don't know what to tell you to adjust, but. Probably just, just need to of... be a little bit more to an angle here. I'm not where I'm, I'm normally set up. Yeah, that, that already sounds better. Well, guys, I don't think we should put it off any longer. Let's talk about the best book we've read in a long time, in my humble opinion. I don't know how you compare it to Invisible Man, but the book I've had the most fun with that we've read in a long time. Duncow. Watership. Duncow, yeah. Let's, let's just, <laughs> let's never talk about Watership Down. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just skip to Duncow, <laughs> which everybody's been waiting with bated breath for us to talk about. Yeah. No, no, no. Listen, Jay and Katie, who are cold and love cheese and also asked us to read Duncow, I think I can say we're going to have fun talking about Duncow, and I'm glad you recommended it. I don't know whether I like the book, but I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. So yep, don't you feel bad about recommending Duncow, even though it might be terrible. I'm not sure. Uh, but in any case... Let's talk about something that's not terrible, which is Watership Down. I don't think we've talked about our baggage, have we? I don't know. I don't, I don't know think what so. we've talked about at this point. Yeah, who knows? Let's just let's just do a do a Watership Down podcast for the ages. Jake, what baggage did you bring to Watership Down? No baggage with the book itself. Just a bunch of people telling me it's the greatest thing ever. I've talked about here before. I don't have a lot of childhood experience with Redwall or any of the kind of like animal-driven stories, Narnia and stuff like that, but not a lot of animals as main characters type of stuff. In my childhood, not a lot of personal baggage with anything like that, except that everybody likes rabbits for some reason, and that's kind of annoying. So, Yes, that is a fantastic point, and one that I had not thought of, but I think does inform the one of the reasons why i've never actually read this book before which is everybody likes rabbits a and b that's kind of annoying yeah that is it that is a great insight into humanity at large and into your own mental processes and the mental processes of myself and i'm sure some of our listeners any other baggage to i don't, I don't think so i really it's kind of a i think i probably imagined more of a goofy I think I'd saw I had seen a cover of like rabbits on a boat or something like that instead of like the board or whatever the log and it's like watership down and whatever. I think I'd oh, imagine okay. more of like a what we got pirate rabbits or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You were really trying to put together what watership the, yeah, the in water this, part like, of image watership. or the image that may, maybe made up that I had you know 
it, just this impression or something. I don't know. It's just like I don't. I don't get it. That would be That's an interesting, interesting book. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. A, and, a book. So. and a stupider yeah. one. And a stupider one. I mean, who doesn't want to read about pirate rabbits? My my impression of the book was quite different, actually, kind of the opposite. But we'll get to that. Brandon, what baggage did you bring to Watership Down, my friend, my my svelte friend? I do think that you and I have talked a bit about our baggage, Nathan, because I told you about the book that was at my granddad's house. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But we're all so, together. We're all so, together. Yeah. It was a book called Rabbit Hill, I think was what it was called. I've already forgotten the author. We looked it up mm-hmm. and found out that it was written before Watership yes. Down. But that was the book that was there, and it was fine. It was it was okay. And I think I read that and then just thought that Watership Down was just going to be something very similar, and so I just never was excited to watch it. I didn't watch the movie growing up. I did like Beatrix Potter, but this seemed to be a very different sort of thing. So mm-hmm. I just never got around to reading it. And wa- so Watership Down was just not a part of my life at all as a young man. Right. Or boy, I, I wish I had. I think it's great. Yeah. Kind of book you want your kids to yeah, read. I, 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 yeah. I've, my, my, my kids are, I mean, I have one kid and she's not really all that sentient at this point, but I would, I would love to make this book part of her experience of childhood, probably just by plopping her in front of that Netflix movie while I work. <clears throat> I think that's the that's the best way to handle probably it. The best probably, way to do it. yeah. A TV is the best babysitter. A TV is the best babysitter, uh, especially Netflix. Especially, yeah, Netflix yeah. loves kids. So my baggage is I hate Call of the Wild, and that's important because I don't like animal stories that aren't anthropomorphic, and that's what I thought Watership Down was. I thought it was. I actually had an opposite kind of impression of it from what Jake did. Jake thought it was going to be more kind of silly. And I thought, I think because I tried to read the first five pages and the first five paper pages are kind of off-putting, I think. I mean, they wouldn't be on they a second are. reading. But it's just like, there were some rabbits and they were doing rabbit things and it was very rabbity. And for some reason, one of them has visions. <laughs> yeah, but even, y- getting, even to the getting visions, to that part was hard. Because it's like, yeah. he introduces so many characters and so much, like, lore lingo type stuff that I, I, could, I just couldn't get, I had a really hard time getting going. And then I thought, well, I'll switch to audio. And then I thought, that's worse. And then I went back and powered through the first, I don't know, however many pages until I felt a little bit of a hook switched. To, and then I could move back and forth between it and audio and was pretty gripped. Yeah, once yeah. this book gets going, it's awesome. But the first like five or six pages are just for me, and it sounds like for Jake too, just not very hooky. They pretty and, much have to leave the Warren. Like, yeah, yeah, I think so too. And you're meeting all these guys, these rabbits, and they have all these names, and you don't know who's going to matter and who's not. Right. Once they sort of start to define your, once you realize Hazel, Fiverr, and Bigwig are your three, then yeah. then you're golden. But. It, to me, it's the experience of, I don't know, there's certain movies, Dead Poet Society is one of them, where it's all these British schoolboys. They all have the same haircut. They all have the same facial structure. They all are like these white boys. And maybe watching it now, knowing some of the actors, I would be able to distinguish them. But I don't know, have you ever watched a movie where the filmmaker fails to give one guy a mustache and one guy a red shirt and one guy a this and one guy a that, and then you're just you're just struggling? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of my experience of trying Watership Down. Plus, I had this 
idea that it was going to be very rabbity and rabbit centric and not romanticized. And I loved the Redwall books, which are a little bit more like what Jake's impression of Watership Down. It was yeah. like rabbits playing dress up with swords. Basically, you could the just green forget that. Yeah, Green Ember. I mean, Redwall used the animals, I think, better than the piece of white supremacist crap that Brandon has said now multiple times Green Ember is. Brandon's shaking his head. Wait, You just what? really want to get us into trouble. No, I have never said this. <laughs> this is now a shtick. Nathan is running with this. I'm taking I mildly criticize the Green Ember, which my kids really like. My wife and kids love and it. Now, yeah, now Nathan wants to accuse me of... Uh, he's just playing off the fact that every time we even offer mild criticism of any beloved children's books, we get branded as Nazis. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> Green Ember? More like white supremacist. I think yeah. those were Brandon's exact words. <laughs> those were my exact words. <laughs> you said anyone who reads Green em- Ember is a racist, and I don't know. You went on from there. I don't appreciate you calling my wife and kids that. Yeah, sorry, well, guys. I didn't appreciate it either. I, <laughs> I tried to stop Brandon. I was like giving him the, the hand across the throat gesture. He was like, what? What's wrong with your throat? What's wrong with your throat, Nate? Anyway, there's a whole thing, and th- that's 100% true. Sounds true. What was I talking about? Oh, so I hate stories that are from animals' points of view and don't do anything to humanize the animals. Like, I just, I don't know. I find it creepy and, like, borderline offensive or something. Like, I, I, I really do not enjoy Call of the Wild just just actually entering into the mind of a dog. Like, it, it just, <laughs> I don't know. There's You don't want to enter into the mind of a dog? <laughs> no, I don't want to enter. I'm a human. I don't know if people know this. They, they can't actually see me. This is an audio form, but I am a human it would, being. It would make it much clearer if you weren't always dressed in a giant dog costume. It would, but <laughs> what kind of a life would that be? I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Do you have to cut that? <laughs> so I, I, I just, there's something about animal stories that are from the perspective of, th- that are trying to, that, that liminal space where it's like we're using human words to express actual animal feelings. It really doesn't work for me. It, it, it kind of kind of like me lim- out. What's that? Kind of like liminal space. It, good it, good it use of lim- that word. Yeah, it's it, it or you know, like people describe the uncanny valley effect. It triggers that kind of a thing in me. I really don't like those kinds of a story. Uh, yeah. A story stories. I mean, it could be a story about a dog where we don't even get into his thoughts. Where it's just like the dog did this. That's fine. Like or it Jaws. can be. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I don't mind Jaws. Um, it's just a shark how, doing shark things. How about Homeward Bound? Homeward Bound, I loved as a kid. I think it split the difference precisely in the way that I like because basically yes. you had a bunch of celebrities vamping and, and, yeah. then, and then you had some animals running around. How about Milo and, and Otis? Kind of, Milo Chan. and Otis I, bothered me a little bit. I mean, I like the part where they fling the, the cat off of the <laughs> waterfall to get their shot. <laughs> Milo and Otis, very cruel to animals. Animals so, were harmed in the making of that film. So you just like any movie that actually has animal cruelty. <laughs> I, I'm going to die, said Otis. Free, <laughs> yes, you free are, Willy. said Milo. <laughs> free Willy's fine. I mean, I don't care about Free Willy one way or another. It doesn't bother me because it's just like, he's a whale. But it's not so much of a movie thing. It's a book thing. It's, it's, it's more of a book thing. Yeah, I didn't even so, think so, when I was thinking about animal characters, but I didn't think about like all of Disney or, you know. 
Right. It just didn't, it didn't occur oh, to me. You know what's a, a really good example of something that splits the difference poorly and the whole everybody agrees with me on this, the Lion King, the John Favreau Lion King. Yeah, where the the creatures are more photorealistic. But they have these actors trying to give them life and it's that's but you that's can't an example of, of how I sort of feel when I read like animate. a Yeah. Just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel that kind of weird, creepy, liminality kind of feeling when I read something like Call of the Wild. And I always thought that that's what Watership Down was. And it turns out, even in the places where you can tell that Richard Adams loves rabbits and wants to teach you about rabbits, he's still creating his own mythology, and they've got a Fafra and all this. They've got all this crap, which makes the book work for me. You know, it's basically a hero's journey with really well-defined characters who happen to have this weird culture that kind of corresponds to rabbit culture. But it, it, it thoroughly lands on one side of that uncanny valley, and it's a wonderful book, as everybody knows, but yeah. it, it really repelled me, and especially those first five pages or so, which I think I tried multiple times because I knew people loved that book, and I loved Redwall, and everybody always said, if you love Redwall, you know, if you like Redwall, then you'll love Watership Down. Like this is the this is the ur text of animal adventure stories. You got to read Watership Down. So it's not like I didn't try, but I don't know, it's actually quite similar to Dune. I tried Dune a number of times, but Princess Aurelian's crap would always bog me down and I could never get through it. So this time, luckily, I had the podcast looking over my shoulder, kind of cracking the whip, and I had to do it. And I, I did the same thing that Jake did where, where I tried to listen to it in audio and that really messed it up because you're getting all those names and everything so fast. So I had to go and read with my eyeballs the first two or three chapters. And then once, once I found the hook, I was able to listen. But yeah. The podcast is always watching. The podcast is always watching. He loved the podcast. What was the, what was the name of the government in 1984? Oh, we should Oceania, know this. Uh, Oceania. Oce- yeah, uh, yeah, it's like that. That should be a T-shirt. We should get a picture of your face, like a Stalin-esque picture of your face, and then below it it says "Read." You know, the fact that there's not a Stalin-esque picture of my <laughs> face with <laughs> with "Read" design the shirt. Yeah, I'd yes. wear that. I'd wear that. That'd shirt. be the that'd be the next. It could it could be the the three of us in the. Yeah. And it just say read underneath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like what's like that kind picture. Somebody could ad- adapt that picture of us at Jeremy's wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. And that deserves to be a poster or something. Yeah. Uh, which by the way, if you want to see that picture, go to patreon.com forward slash the booking. Sign up for a low, low, low amount to support the podcast today. <sighs> Give us money. Give us money. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I think we sort of, we never actually had this discussion, but I think we can have it on mic because we all agree. When we make it to 2K, we're going to do a deep dive of Anna K. That's right. Right. That's what 100%. that's what the fans want. That's what we want. Yeah. That's what everybody wants. So a whole year long. It's going to be chapter, as long as it, it's going to be as long as it needs to be as long as it needs to be, Brandon. Right. We're It'll be like it. a wizard's arrival. It will be precisely what it needs to. We're going to uh, do a close reads. Style. We will closely read. We're not going to do a close reads. Yeah. Did you ever look at their book list? It looks like they just do whatever we do. <laughs> Brandon, don't pick up. A- okay. Well, uh, let's talk about Watership Down. What you, what That's you guys probably think about convenient this? for the crossover listeners. That's probably, they're probably just it being does, considerate. That's why con- they do it. Convenient for cross-dressers. <laughs> let's, 
talk about Watership Down. <laughs> We're back, baby. The booketing's back. <laughs> in, in rare form. Booketing's back. Back again. Booketing's back. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. We're from the 90s. Okay. You bet. <laughs> hey, we all uh, listened let's... to Marshall Mathers back in the day. <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, we did. All right. Speaking of great artists, let's talk about Richard Adams' really Watership is. Down. <laughs> what what'd you guys think about that Watership Down? I loved it. I, uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it's a good book. I thought it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I I really enjoyed it. I think it if you want my full judgment, I think and I I may not be the first of us to have said this, so I may not deserve the credit for it, but I think that it's right there with the Hobbit in terms of just truly great children's adventure literature. Yeah, I would agree 100%. I think I'm going to I would dock at a few points from from Hobbit greatness because Richard Adams if he is a Christian, which I think Brandon in his context said maybe he kind of is or has claimed. There are, or, there are quotes out there to suggest he is. Well, insofar as he is or is not, I would say his book is less than The Hobbit, ultimately, in terms of reflecting values that well, has I... A completely pagan mythology to it. Right. And, you and know. So does Tolkien. So does Tolkien, but I, I I don't I don't even know how to quantify it. I just know I feel a little bit better about Tolkien in terms of what I would want to share with my kid. I guess. Yeah, it's comparing gold to other gold. They're they're well, wonderful. And I think I think that Richard Adams is a great writer, but I think Tolkien has him beat. So as far as style, yeah, I, mean, I guess I think that's the only other thing I would add, but not beat by much. I thought I was joking. I thought this is great. This is a good book. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we've read a lot of children's books on the bookening, and we've kind of had a track record of being like, eh, about a lot of them. This might be, I mean, short of Charlotte's Web and The Hobbit, this is this is definitely yeah, that's the, best the top children's three book we've read. Yeah, that's that, that's the list, and there's no nothing else that we've read that cracks that list. Right. Well, there's I would say some also rans or honorable mentions, but. Well, how would we define this book's greatness? I mean, what what are what are we responding to? What is everybody responding to? Like what what makes this book so great? Well, I think you partly already touched on it with the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. I mean, it has just the classic hero's journey and it's a believable world. One of the things I know the first few pages are hard to get into, but he really knows how to paint this British countryside so you feel like you're there. One of the mm -hmm. things he does really well, and it's actually like, it, it's a thing that Cormac McCarthy does too, like he, to give the Texas countryside some flesh and bones, he'll actually name the plants. Yes. You know? Like, and then you'll just have to imagine what this plant might look like, but he'll give the plants names. And so from the very beginning, this Richard Adams, he's doing the same thing. He's naming yeah, it, what would be there. Yeah, And I appreciate the way he does that more than Tolkien. Tolkien will tell you that that's what he's doing. And then I know that you guys, this is part of what you love about Tolkien, but it's part of what at times I find most boring about Tolkien is, and now I'm going to paint the countryside for you. And then right. he goes on for two pages painting the countryside. And Adams doesn't, doesn't do that, but he's always giving you details and sparking your imagination. 
Yeah. Well, Tolkien gets the privilege of just making up whatever plant he wants to. Right. Right. It's now king's foil and elfin tree and whatever he wants to. Whatever right. he wants to call troll, it. Troll weed. <laughs> yep. He's, he's always going on about troll weed and elfin tree. <laughs> I love specificity and description. Even if I don't know what it is and I never bother to look it up, I love it when someone uses the word for a thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why that is exactly, but. It always sparks my imagination. Just even, I I hate authors that avoid brand names. Like, I'd rather the character be drinking a Coke or a Pepsi than a cola product. No, yeah. I mean, so when I read that first paragraph, I was like, wow, this is, as far as description of plants and meadows and countryside, this was one of my favorite paragraphs outside of, I think it's in All the Pretty Horses, where he's describing the country, the Texas countryside. Mm -hmm. He's talking about the... uh, I don't even know the names of all the flowers he's using, but like the gorse brush and the mesquite and all these things. Right. And McCarthy's doing, and it felt, it gave it a sort of weight and reality, but also there's some sort of poetry to that. I don't know what it is, but there's some sort of just simple beauty in naming the actual plant, giving mm-hmm. it some flesh and bones within the story, and not just saying there were purple and red flowers and the hills were green. Well, he's, and he's done, a, McCarthy feels like he's always done his homework so well. Yeah. That like he's just really done all of the research and mm-hmm. done all the homework and it, he it, says this kind of grass is growing it's because that kind of grass would grows be what grows there right there in that little patch of Texas exactly right and so then as an outsider who doesn't know you just get the sort of like wonder of the specificity of it all and but the more you're like yeah that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, you. I, I love the authority of it. It's one of the things that I enjoy about reading Raymond Chandler is he'll just name drop these L.A. locations and these street names. You know, I went to this street in L.A. and I don't know what that street is. Doesn't mean anything to me, but it sure does make Raymond Chandler and Philip Marlowe sound like they know what they're talking about. And that and lends it, and a it kind means of something poetry to, and weight to it. It means something to somebody, right? If yeah. you're from L.A., it's got to be that much more rich because it's actually real. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I love that kind of thing. And I love the kind of poetry that you can get just with the cadence of words, mesquite, or I, I don't know. I am i don't know enough about plants to even come up with a fake example here. And I d- stupidly don't have the book sitting in front of me. Elder tree, I think it was. Elder tree. Yeah. Elder tree. Trollweed. Trollweed, Trollweed. yeah. Yeah. Well, I always think of uh, William Zinser, the second greatest writing book, book on how to write after uh, Strunk and Elements. White elements of style he says the mistake that high schoolers always make is they say the grass was a glorious green mm-hmm. and he says don't tell us never tell us that the grass was green you can tell us that the grass was purple that's interesting but if you're going to use some and all your descriptive powers of poetry to tell us that the grass was green <laughs> we know that the grass is green shut up stop wasting our time and and, and that's just describes all of high school writing you know young nathan young brandon young jake people who are actually have an ear and are trying what they'll inevitably do is they'll use their ear and then they'll try and describe something that that you kind of already know and yeah. that isn't actually informing the plot or the poetry yep either one yep. nothing is richer and, for you having described green grass right no matter you could be shakespeare and it's like no don't 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 tell the reason shakespeare is shakespeare is because Nine times out of ten, he's not going to tell me that the grass was green. You might tell me that it's something He'll else. allude to something else that gives you a picture of very green grass in your mind. Right. Yeah. As part of the story he's telling. Well, that's a way of telling what 
kind of green and that in and of itself is a detail or he's just going to talk about it being springtime and you're just going to imagine the green that you love in spring Mm -hmm. and he then he doesn't he doesn't have to describe anything he just lets you supply it Mm -hmm. well the other thing that i love about watership down is it plays on two levels really well it's got that sort of metatextual quality of at any given point you can kind of step outside and realize oh the entire this entire adventure i could drive 20 minutes and right get across it you know yeah they've gone a few farmhouses or something so it's like (laughs) one of those stupid bugs maybe they've traveled a whole mile right exactly but then whenever they come to a new location it's full of foreboding and adventure and you're like what's going to happen here and yeah that's the other thing the description is just tied to the plot in a way that is more similar similar to the hobbit than it is to lord of the rings he can play around with some defamiliarization of things like when they come to the road and the car and Bigwig knows what the cars are. Mm-hmm. Kind of. He hasn't quite figured it out, but to... He's got handles that nobody else yeah. has. Yeah. Well, I, I have to admit, call me an idiot, and maybe you both will, but in in that kind of diehard scene where the bad guy gets offed by the train, it took me a little while to figure out, oh, he got killed by a train when they're being pursued, oh. and then someone gets hit by the, the moving iron yeah. thing. I don't even remember exactly yeah. what the the plot thing is, but there's a bad guy rabbit or something that's after them that gets hit by a train. Right. And I had to step outside of it and think about, do the math for a minute. It wasn't just obvious to me. Yeah. It's written really well. I actually anticipated somebody getting hit by that train, by the way it was set up. So I, yeah, I felt it. I think I saw that, that one coming. So I was able to see it in motion, but it was really well done. I thought, especially mm-hmm. since that rabbit kept carrying a red handbag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yes yeah. exactly well, it symbolized <laughs> yeah. something it symbolized something boring i don't, don't remember yeah. what <laughs> why hasn't someone written a portmanteau novel of watership down and anna karenina i don't know that would be that'd be something <laughs> they've done pride and prejudice with zombies why haven't they done anna karenina with rabbit <laughs> i mean it's it seems it's a little too like obvious and on the nose in my opinion rabbits yeah, and anna karenina <laughs> People would feel like they'd already read it almost. It's, yeah. it's just. <laughs> You're just talking about replacing all the main characters with rabbits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Man. Well, you said defamiliarization, Brandon, and I think that that gets at the heart of what I loved about this book so much. It is an adventure, but it's 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 really hard for me to predict what's going to happen because it's happening in this rabbit world. And you have enough handles that you're always like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it after something happens. But you're never exactly sure what the threat is going to be yeah. going into it. Yeah, you just carry it along all the way through. And that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. You know, like I watch a Star Wars movie. At this point, we've seen enough Star Wars movies. We kind of know what the sorts of threats are. Yeah, it could be another kind of monster, but we basically know what monsters do in Star Wars you watch or, you know or monsters do what gangsters do what bounty hunters do what pirates do right what sith do but strangely enough in the confines of this novel it all seems obvious after the fact but for example with the hippie lotus eater right thing you you kind of know where it's going you know that they've traded safety for something but you don't know what that threat is going to ultimately look like how violent it's going to be, how scary it's going to be. 
you don't have a good way of, or I didn't have a good way of predicting, like, is it going to be poison gas? Is it going to be a tractor? Is it going to be the snare that it ultimately was? And so mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun just to, like, even a fantasy novel. It's it's like you read a fantasy novel and you kind of know, like, well, there's going to be the bad guy army or the dragon type thing or the mm-hmm. sort of know what the categories are. But Watership Down, weirdly, for a book that's full of nothing but pro- prosaic things. Yeah, it makes... You, you never know where the danger is coming a from. A lot of... Yeah. Uh, mundane things mythical mm-hmm. in a really fun cool way so like if you'd grown up on a farm oh the trap you set for the rabbit it's this big de- huge deal of course it would be a big huge deal the rabbits it kills them mm-hmm. right <laughs> did you guys think he was being preachy I, I could never quite decide how i mean i knew he was ecologically motivated to write this book one way or another like he cares about rabbits and he thinks that humans are stupid for i think but he's he has a light enough touch about it that i could never quite decide where he wanted us to land and then you have the big scene at the end where we really step outside of things and we have the the little girl the little girl and all that kind of thing i mean i never got the sense that he was being preachy there are books like i, I mean even the lord of the rings i think he's preachier about the ents with saruman mm-hmm. than i feel like Richard Adams is being with the rabbits. I think it was more just an inevitable relationship between man and beast that we're going to tear these things down. And it's, it adds some momentum to the story, but then not all people are bad. You have the little girl, Lucy at the end, who's saves Hazel. So mm-hmm. yep. carries him in the car. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't feel it was preachy. I did. I did worry about that at the beginning when, Oh no, the evil people are going to come and destroy the whole warren. But I mean, if you're going to tell if you're going to tell a rabbit story, who are the who who preys on rabbits besides it, it's going to be people and foxes and weasels and crap. Mhm. And hawks. That's it. Yeah, I would always kind of worry about it. It'd be like there's the people with their smoking sticks and their, you know, you'd, you'd think it was going somewhere yeah. that was going to be pretty preachy, but it never really jumped the shark what did you guys think about the world building in general i i found like it does a lot of things that i'm usually irritated by and i couldn't quite decide why i wasn't irritated by them in this particular case like all the words and the fafra and the thing that they call the sun the thing that they call this and the this and the that and there's all this rabbit lore and oftentimes with these kinds of books i'm like i'm not a rabbit I don't care. Just call it the name of that I know. Like, I don't want to enter into the mythology of this too much. Like, I, it, it reminded I'm, me. I'm of, surprised I didn't find it off-putting. Actually, it reminded me of Dune somehow in similar ways, mm-hmm. uh, and I couldn't tell you why, but it just felt complete enough in and of itself without being overwhelming. I mean, Tolkien feels complete. Tolkien also, oh, I don't know. I don't know. It just hints at enough. That, I don't know how to. I, I I liked it. Yeah. I liked the breaks for the stories and all of it. Yeah. I don't know. He also how to... gets the it's a little bit like Beowulf in the sense that he he has the benefit of just telling a story that's in a setting that we can all fairly easily imagine. Right? Everybody can easily imagine a, a Hrothgar a Harrit, the whatever it is, the hall where they're mm-hmm. all at there. And here you just had to be able to imagine a meadow and some fields and then fill in the rest. And But he still is able to build out the world of Woundwort and the farms and add some mythology behind it that really works. But 
he's not having to really develop outside of just the specificity of the place that he does really well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But I don't, I don't know. It didn't bother me. Yeah, I'm just. I wasn't I'm concerned to, about it. Like with Dune, it Dune bothered you, right, Brandon? I mean, did you want to know as much about Dune as you got? <laughs> Were you happy every time Princess Aurelian put pen to paper? No, I found myself oddly not caring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, I that think poetry stuff was stupid. I thought, but the poetry stuff in the in Watership Down. No, in in Dune. Like the crap oh, yeah. at the beginning of... Oh, like the, the little yeah. italicized blurbs of... I mean, some of it was effective just as set dressing that we needed, but it got awfully irritating when we had to learn about the Bene Gesserit history, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and it's like, here's the thing that Watership Down does that well that Dune does poorly. I think we talked about this when we talked about Dune. You never feel like the word Benny Gesserit was inevitable. You kind yeah. of feel like he was just thinking, what's a cool word for my sisterhood of satanic nuns? Like, uh, what, what, what would the, actually Benny, Benny Gesserit isn't a good example because I think it's, I actually think it is a pretty cool one. But there's any number of terms that I don't remember now from Dune that you're just like, pulled that out of a hat. On. It's a little bit like in Star Wars, The Clone Wars. I was just watching one with Savage Opress. Right. <laughs> and it kind of works. Like, you're like, okay, you're having fun. Right <laughs> they thought it was you, pretty funny. You were bored. You <laughs> yeah. Were bored. It took you 20 minutes to write this crap. And <laughs> then you. <laughs> Great. But. It, uh, yeah. You never can tell in the, in the Clone Wars how much the writers are just like. Get, winking, getting a kick and winking versus how how much George Lucas was there behind the scenes saying his name should be Savage Oppress Oppressor, but let's change the way that we pronounce it to Savage <laughs> Oppress because he's he's you see he's savage guys and he, he's he's oppressed and he oppresses oh, people. Is that what it is? <laughs> and then you got this writers' there. room where they're like, okay. Yeah, that's cool, George. Sure, yep. sure thing. Uh, yeah, great. Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll go with that too. Sure, you're the man. <laughs> uh, well, we're gonna Duncow will be an interesting counterpoint to this too, in terms of his his world building and Hal's moving castle, I guess. But uh, I don't know. More, more broadly, I'm just trying to piece together uh, a theory here. What what makes world building feel inevitable? Like what what makes you not stop to ask the question? Because obviously. Richard Adams probably did just pull a Fafra out of a hat. It is just a nonsense word, ultimately. Mm-hmm. But some fantasy or sci-fi or things like that, you read that and it, it just feels inevitable and you don't even stop to think about that. Obviously, Tolkien was a master, but we kind of know why Tolkien was a master because he d- really developed these internally consistent languages and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Tolkien's a, a linguist who is very intentionally using things that resonate, like he knows what he's doing. I think that Adams, when it came to the words that he chose, he knew at least one thing, if not more, which is a lot of our words are onomatopoetic. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we don't think about how inevitable the words we, many of the words we have actually are. Right. But if you were rabbits, what would, what, what would the onomatopoetic word for some of the more common things that we just take for granted, what would they be? 
And it, I think that's part of how, how it works. Mm-hmm. What's the name of them? El Arira. Yeah, it also works a little bit because he's using words that already sound a bit mythic and Welsh. So, like Scottish. Jake said, Welsh, Scott, even El, like El Shaddai, you know, yeah. there's just a ring to it that already. I think in our head has that, in our Western consciousness, has that sort of ring of mm. deep mythology to it. Mm-hmm. So, I do think that's one way he gets around it. And also, what Jake's saying, the the onomatopoeic aspect to it, just the alliteration, it just makes it sound very simple. You can imagine if rabbits were to name their places or their gods, it would be Afrafa, it would be El, however you say it, things like that. Yeah. I'm realizing as you talk that it probably is, for me, as much of that, just it's a linguistic thing. And the reason that so much of Dune, the, the terms and place names, seemed bad for me or, or made me stop or I stumbled over in Dune was because he was drawing from kind of Eastern Islamic, those kinds of weird constructions, Maudib and the Kwisar Haderach and things like yes. that with all, with all the apostrophes and stuff like that. And Cuisinart. Yeah, the Cuisinart Sazerac. Yeah. I could go for a Sazerac. I could go for a Cuisinart Sazerac. We've never trusted... Yeah, never mind. We've never dropped a touch of alcohol on this podcast. Never had one drop fall to the the ground. Fall to the ground, no. (laughs) They've all gone directly (laughs) to our heads. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sentence, wow, that was hard for you to say. I'm <laughs> that, pretty sure that was not all alcohol induced. <laughs> no. That was the Cuisinart of my brain. Yeah. Must have had some Sazeracs or something. I don't know. I don't know, man. Just the thought of it. Well, I want to, on, on next week's Watership Down episode, I want to talk about our favorite rabbits and our favorite uh, scenes and you know, geek out a little bit. But any bigger picture? Thoughts about Watership Down? <laughs> no, other than I really think that people should read it. Um, read it with your if kids. If you have time, read it with... Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say, if you have time, read it with your kids. It's a long one. It, so. it's, I think it's a great... I know that we're almost done with the summer, but if you're taking a, an end-of-summer road trip, it's a great one to listen a, to. But I, I, like the, I like the Audible uh, recording. Did you do... Because there's two. There's Peter Capaldi, and then there's... A different one. Oh, Peter Capaldi reads it? I didn't know he, that. Well, there's like I said, there's one that Peter Capaldi read. I listened to the other one, and I thought the other one was awesome. I listened to... Curious. Oh. Yes, I, I listened to Peter Capaldi, and I thought it was awesome. Peter Capaldi's great. Yeah, well... He yeah. was pretty much the only one of the good Doctor Whos. Yeah. Yeah, he was a, he was a fine Doctor Who. I don't know that he was the only good doctor. I don't know why I said that. It was one of those extreme statements you say, and then you wonder why you said it. Yeah, I wondered too. (laughs) Real David Tennant hater here. No, I actually like David Tennant, and Matt Smith was fine too. Yeah. Um, So was was, was the the guy before them was just great. Uh, Yeah, I don't know why I said it, Nathan. (laughs) Can you name a bad doctor who? Maybe the modern woman one. Yeah. Speaking of, we can talk about this criticism of gender roles in the next episode too. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. People get really mad about this book and it's sexism. Oh. Yep. Right. Babies, basically the does are just passive baby factories or something like that. Yep. Kind of like rabbits. Nathan. 
the way that we feel as as conservative Christians about women, they're kind of like rabbits. Yeah, I make my wife wear a little pair of rabbit ears. <laughs> <laughs> now we know who the true furry is. Yeah, or the true um, Hugh Hefner. Brendan does just wear a bathrobe, a red bathrobe, all the time, all the time. Okay, well, let's shout out some patrons. How about that? (laughs) Let's do it. Yeah. Brendan, is it time for us to have a new shtick? Yeah, my wife is. uh, Speaking of my wife, (laughs) she's pretty done with the whole Frankenstein Dracula thing. Yeah, she can just turn it off. She could. She doesn't have to listen to this part. No. People have to listen to this part, though. In fact, let's say one awesome insight about Watership Down <laughs> somewhere in the middle of this part. So people have to listen to it because I do not support <sighs> people turning off the donor shoutouts. Well, you're on the hook for that, Nathan. All right. I'm going to load up an insight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I'm so happy. The booking's back, baby. I have a way that we can shake it up a bit. You just shake wait. up the shtick. Let's hear it. Go ahead, Nathan. Say the first one. Oh, okay. All right. Somebody want to tell people what they have to do to join the Pallowed List Hall of Fafra or whatever? Patreon.com forward slash the booking for $10 or more. You can become mm-hmm. a shout, shout it out patron. You can give less and not be shouted out. You can. You don't have to give $10. You can give any amount of money you want to. You can give a million dollars a month if you want to. You would get shouted out for that. But yeah, there's all kinds of behind the scenes content there. And so go support us at patreon.com forward slash the booking. $25 a month, you get a t-shirt once a year, brand new, completely different. We do not send out ratty old... (laughs) T- I mean, t-shirts. unique. Take a t-shirt from our... One of our most popular closets. reward levels is $50 a month. For $50 a month, mm, you get... Great reward level. Uh, the shout out, the t-shirt, and you get every book that we read here on the Bookening in advance, personalized by the three of us. So we write you a little note. Nathan sometimes draws pictures. It's fun. It's cool. And you get high quality copies of all the books so your library grows as you support us. No Dover thrift editions. No, nice stuff from None. us. Yep. $100 a month, you can pick one of our books. Yep. We're about to read one pretty soon. Uh, Book of the Dun Cow is... Uh, Book of the Dun Cow, Rebecca, and Ender's Game, I think, were all patron choices this year. And Wow. Very excited to read those. <sighs> all right. I'm going to say a patron, and then the, sh- the new shtick yeah. will begin. Carry a big shtick. Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds. Frankenstein. <laughs> I I had a feeling. I had a feeling. I the like artful it. Artful Anthony Dodger. Dracula. It's a change, Nathan. Don't you love it? I don't even remember. Is it a change? Did you it guys is, swap? Yeah, is yeah, that, that's is that, change, is that yeah. a bit here? You guys swap? Yeah. It feels oh, nice. man. This is great. <laughs> it feels so fresh and new. <laughs> <laughs> it feels so fresh and new. How did that even uh, start? <laughs> I don't know. I think it probably started with, no, because we haven't been doing it since literal readings of Frankenstein, Frankenstein or Dracula. No, it, that's it feels... Like, that's like year two stuff. Yeah, it feels... We must have had a conversation about which was better, and then... It might it might go just go back to Halloween, you know, of 2020, where it was how many Draculas, or pick the, your favorite sci-fi, mo- your, your favorite Halloween character or monster or something like that, and we just got stuck yeah. on... You mean ball I, of scream? It, it, it and I really don't know what she wants. 
You really don't want. We've named types of candy before. What I mean, what else? What what are what are the other things we could do? What do you think your wife would like us to do? I don't know. I think what we were doing was probably pretty great. Probably exactly what she wanted. Really excited. So I neigh like a horse or something. I don't know. Hey, neigh like a horse. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Just keep moving on. Little Anthony Cigar Store. Dracula. Frankenstein. The immortal Chelsea E. <laughs> Dracula. Yeah, I'm glad you're getting into it too there. <laughs> Jimmy Beam and little Annie Spookly. <laughs> Frankenstein. I'm not going to put us through that. Lily of the Valley, Andrew Nestor, the Lovebirds, the Keepmaster, David Trenton, John and Joe, Michael, Dan, John, Joe, Frankenstein, 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 Dylan, Dylan, I love you too. No, Jujitsu Jeffrey, the Texas Ranger. Stephen, Pegalodon, Christopher, the Flower Hulk, Lady of the Crystal Lake, Frankenstein, the Death of Marion, Lord of Death, a man in possession of an Emily is in want of nothing, Frankenstein, Emily Nightshade, the Haunter of Dreams, Dracula, Frankenstein, all about the Benjamin, Dracula, Frankenstein, that's it. <laughs> Our names just keep getting better and better as we go down the list. <laughs> I agree. I think so too. Hey, yeah. hey, I don't think you can argue with any. Are you okay? Get your gun. Flight of the Valerie, Thor, Ragnar, Josh, Stephen, dot, 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 Pegalodon, Christopher the Flower Hulk. No argument with <laughs> Christopher the Flower Hulk. Annie, are you okay? Get your gun. Might be our best. <laughs> Lady of the Crystal Lake, Ian the Death of Marion, Lord of Death, a man in possession of an Emily is in want of nothing. That's pretty Emily great. Nightshade, the Hunter of Dreams, all about the Benjamin. I, I mean, yeah. Annie, are you okay? Get your gun. Might be the best, it's true. But no shade on anyone else. All right. Goodbye, listeners. Goodbye. Happy screams. Goodbye. Goodbye. Until the green ember rises. You racists.